This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. All right, hello and welcome to part two of episode 212 of the Thursday Night Podcast. As promised in Sunday's episode, we're back to talk about everything that happened in basketball and baseball this past week. And boy, do we have a lot to discuss. It was a one and one week for men's basketball with a 72 to 71 comeback win over Coastal Carolina on Wednesday night and a dismal 68 to 59 loss to Texas State on Saturday afternoon. In the first game of the week, the Panthers erased a six-point Chanticleers lead in the final 90 seconds and pulled out an improbable win when Tonari Lane hit a corner three with 1.8 seconds left. But on Saturday, the team looked off from the jump, committing a season-high 17 turnovers and shooting 33% in the second half as Texas State added to a one-point halftime lead and pulled away in the end despite not making a field goal for the final six and a half minutes. The 500 week leaves GSU 13 and 15 on the season, seven and nine in the Sun Belt, in eighth place in the standings. Gentlemen, thoughts on this week for the men? So again, I'll throw this disclaimer out there again because you're hearing this on Tuesday because of our recording schedule and just the way everything lined up. We're still recording this on Sunday, the same day that we had talked about the Dell McGee news. That's in your feeds already from Sunday. If anything more has come out, you know, from the press conference, any more news has trickled out between Sunday and your time you're hearing this promise we will cover it the next time we record after this but on the basketball side of things honestly my first takeaway is that they are really 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 lucky they did not go 0 and 2 at home this week you know if i'm honest they really didn't deserve to win two games they really didn't deserve one game they put a lot together and i don't want to take away from the excitement of when of the of the game against Coastal because one as a fan like you should just enjoy moments like that like that was the best ending of a game in the Georgia State Convocation Center since it's opened electric I was there very fun stuff they really really shouldn't have been in that game at the end and had that chance and then on Saturday it was just a sloppy performance it just uncharacteristic is stuff like that Jordan mentioned the 17 turnovers. It was like tripping in the lane and losing it out of bounds or just not catching the ball down the post and having it trickle out of bounds and getting caught out in the perimeter, maybe not ball handlers. And I thought that maybe it was a good job of Texas State of having a good scout on and catching Georgia State and maybe the weak parts of their when they're trying to run their offense. But like the bottom line is Texas State did not have a field goal in the final six and a half minutes. I'm repeating what Jordan said again, and one by nine. Like, that is unfathomable. And it's just, they needed these two wins to feel really, really good about where they would finish. And they're still not in an awful position as far as avoiding the first round of the Sunbelt tournament. But this was an opportunity to not clinch things, but feel really, really good. And they couldn't get it done. And it just is more of the same with this team, which is that they've just been really inconsistent. They they have not been able to play complementary basketball for that long of stretches. And that's why, as they sit here, they are needing to sweep next week to avoid another losing season. Better than last year, but still frustratingly below the standards of Georgia State and also just below winning basketball in the Sun Belt. 
Yeah, certainly, um, certainly an annoying game, both against Coastal and, you know, the loss against Texas State. The Coastal game is frustrating because it had the script of this, uh, the game in Conway earlier this year where Georgia State, you know, did that thing where they start slow and traded some baskets, go on a run, you know, get hot going into halftime. And I mean, they Georgia State had a pretty high win probability um, about a little before halfway through the second half. Um, it they got were up, up by what, ten like right or something? before halftime. They were up exactly. thirty-seven. That was you their know, high point. It looked like it was going to be a good game for Georgia State. It, just, the defense was working. Coastal wasn't hitting shots. Um, then Georgia State's defense was also playing really well. Um, it just, it looked like it was going to be a good game. And then for the next, I guess you could call it like 15 minutes of clock time, you know, before the first half ended. And then, you know, in deep into the second half, it was just all coastal, all coastal, you know, Georgia state was lucky that they were able to get away with the win there simply because by the end, they just could not buy baskets and coastal couldn't really miss. Um, and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because they looked very good earlier in the game, and it just didn't translate either for the Texas State game as well. Yeah, I think there's actually a common symptom between the offensive performances on Wednesday and on Saturday. Um, I didn't really feel like Coastal had the guards to stay in front of Brendan Tucker and Dewan Odom. Like, they both finished, you know, on Wednesday, Dewan was 6 of 9, Brendan was four of nine, but he was three of five from inside the arc. And it felt like they got away far too often from that part of the offense and having that be what got them good looks, whether it was on a drive where they end up going up with a shot or whether they kick out. And I mean, you saw the kick out with Dewan on the game winning play where they inbound and he runs the length of the court. He does a dribble kick. Canary is wide open in the corner. He hits the three, sends the Georgia State fans home happy. And on Saturday was the same thing against Texas State, where Dewan was six of eight from inside the arc. Brendan was again three of five. And yeah, I put out the statistic uh, on Twitter after the game that the combined stats of Brendan and Dewan offensively Dewan and Brendan, 26 points, nine of 14 from the floor, eight of eight from the free throw line. Everyone else against Texas State, 33 points, 13 of 40 from the floor and zero for one from free throw. So not only not making many, but only attempting one, not getting to the line at all. And so in the times where things are going wrong in both those games offensively, it just felt like what we've seen when this team is really struggling off, you know, it, it's nothing new, just they get a little bit three happy and looking to get that shot going and not running offense. And I just think the default sets when the clock's running down and you're not running good looks is, find the, a way to get it to Dewan and Brendan and let them either get to the rack and get fouled or get a shot up or get a shot that way, get a, a three that way. Because like the offensive sets where nothing's happening and either Tanari or Lucas just throws up a semi-contested three with 10 seconds on the shot clock, like that is an offense that's going to get you much. Unless just you've got the rhythm going and you make a bad shot. But certainly saw, I think, too much of that this week and led to the general offensive struggles where defense did enough for you on Saturday. And obviously when they started turning Coastal over on Wednesday, the defense was also doing a lot. Uh, the offense was 
weirdly the problem. And so if speaking to the general inconsistencies, like this should be a good enough offensive team that it should never be the problem. And we are talking how many times where it's like, man, the defense really needs to catch up because the offense to give them shots. This week, it was the offense that was the problem. Yeah, this collection of Georgia State players should not be struggling to score 60 points. Um, I know that other teams have a say in that, so I will give you know some grace, I suppose. But yeah, offense definitely needed to step up in a way that I just don't think that it did um, in the Saturday game against Texas State. And I mean, I'll give Jonas credit because in both games, he found something defensively that upped it on that side of the ball. They went to a press maybe too late against Coastal, although after the game he had made clear he didn't want to do it too early and you know gas his guys, especially since they had another game coming up later in the week. But they went to a press, and that's what started really forcing the turnovers. You know, it was the issue for Georgia State on Saturday offensively, but against Coastal they forced 17, 11 in the second half. And even as they weren't getting the fruits of those labors with points as much early on, they forced five in the course of like two minutes right when they went to that press and basically didn't do much to the lead coastal had built up because they couldn't score off of those turnovers but it at least got the crowd into the game and that mattered as later in the game they did start to cut into it and really took the game over late and started hitting their threes and on saturday against texas state he went to his own in the second half and it wasn't the entire 20 minutes of the second half but a large majority of the time was spent in a like a one three zone switching Texas State I talked about on the preview pod not particularly great three point shooting uh, they had one guy Benson who was four of eight from three and he certainly they they lost him a couple too many times but I think it was smart to go we have to make them beat us from three and they really couldn't you know case in point they went the final six and change without making a shot from the floor the zone did its job in that game but not enough on the offensive end and. I just feel like there's times, and this is maybe what you expect with a second-year coach, the, the, he has an idea of what he needs to do to switch things up and get things turned around, maybe a little bit slow on the process to put that into place and go to that. And just game feel is still maybe eluding Jonas a little bit as a young head coach and an opportunity there maybe go to that earlier in either of the games, maybe it's not sweaty down the stretch against Coastal, and maybe you turn things around earlier against Texas State. And it's just, you know, I, I feel like we have belabored the point a couple of times, but you did kind of sign up for this when you signed a first-year head coach. And I think he truly, you know, believes he's got guys to turn around, like they can be playing better. He was very unhappy after the Texas State game and the post game. very clearly like it was not any kind of coach speaking facade. He's talking about how we got our tails beat and talked about maybe they weren't taking Texas State seriously and how is it possible they were doing that because they didn't have any right to treat opponents that way. But it's just it, it, all around it, just a, a messy week and they really needed two wins. And so even if they had played the same way against Texas State but found a way to win, We'd still be talking about it. not a great week, but the bottom line of this, yeah, time I don't is think you just needed the wins. Like there, there's a part yeah. of this where it's like it still wasn't great play, but they also just needed to get these two wins here. And you know, you look at it, and you have these two: you, the loss to Texas State, you've got the loss to Coastal Carolina on the road, you've got the loss to Georgia Southern on the road. 
if all those results flip, not only do you have a winning record in conference play, but you might be up still fighting for double buy. Not in a great, you know, there's still a lot of people there. You still need results to go your way. But even as we feel like this team is far off maybe the high standards that we've expected the last day of Georgia State basketball, just with a few of these games that they should have won flipping, they would be in a much better position in the conference standings and be not on the cusp of potentially playing in the first round again. I'm really curious about the off season and just how we kind of view uh, both year two in context and then years one and two with Coach Hayes because, you know, I think the frustration, is, the frustration that I see, like, you know, that I have is I think we correctly identified that this was a better team than last year. And to your point about those games that, you know, they should have won, if you were to switch those results and give them the wins and do nothing different to the schedule, I wonder what that would do in terms of how good we feel like this team would be. Because I think that they would still be a clear step below, you know, the grand expectations people have for Georgia State basketball. Okay, fine. Um, But then... You know, I don't know, just given how sometimes how they've played, even in those games, I'm I'm interested to see what we would feel about it just because it's better. It certainly is better than last year. And, you know, maybe we are a little bit too strong with our, you know, playing in the Sunbelt Championship or bust mindset. Um, But I I know that that's where they've been. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see kind of the thought process um, in terms of where people feel like Georgia state is right now. I just, I think that it's okay to like, they averaged 20 wins a season and went to three NCAA tournaments across two different coaches. The six years before Jonas got hired. So I don't have a problem with people not changing the standards at all. Like, I don't think there's any reason Georgia State couldn't have been a top half Sunbelt team each of the last two seasons. I mean, last year, the roster was not in great shape. So maybe you hope we're just not dead last last year and you get real tangible improvements this year. But I think if they are finishing like fourth and fifth with a winning record in the Sunbelt, I think that people would look at that, yeah, as tangible improvement and feel like there's something building. But I think you you can't look at it that way because that's not the reality. And, you know, it'd be one thing if we're sitting here and saying, okay, they lost to James Madison, they lost to Troy, lost to App State, which, I mean, they did all of those things, but those aren't the only teams they lost to. They also lost, it arguably could have lost both of the games to for Old Dominion who is the last place team in the conference is seven and 22 did lose to who's currently in 12th and 13th Texas state coastal Carolina once lost to Georgia Southern. Who's currently in ninth place lost to Marshall who you're tied with in the standings. Uh, still have a chance to make up that game now, but they have a lot of the losses against teams they shouldn't have. And last year was, they couldn't beat hardly anyone. And this year it's, they're still not proving to be better even at home against teams that they should be. And so that's, you know, you're never going to make people believe that you're turning things around when you're still losing games like that. And so I, I guess the silver lining, if, if you're Jonas or if you're like trying to project this out, is I don't think that a loss here really changes much. I think it is still a lot about how year three goes. 
it just it felt like there was an opportunity to make this a a real year two bump. And now it just feels like it's better than last year by default, but that doesn't mean a whole lot. And now you're really looking for that major jump in year three where you know, bringing in some interesting players. We talked about the recruiting class with Ben what, one, two podcasts ago. And that's before we know if there's any more spots they're going to open up to maybe bring in some more guys, maybe some more attrition. But like next year, and the I think that the guys he's brought in in this next recruiting class like are going to make or break how the season goes and possibly how his time as head coach goes. And so if you're a head coach, I don't think you ever want to be in a situation where so much is resting on this year three as much as it is for Jonas. But close out this year as strong as you can, but I really think it's going to be about what next year looks like. And you know, right now, just you're looking to see them play more consistently. It's the coachiest speak and the most generic thing you can say, but I think people would be far more satisfied if they are winning the games they're supposed to and just looking more cohesive for longer stretches, which they haven't been, and that's why they've been losing these games that they quote-unquote shouldn't. Totally agree. Up next, it's two more regular season games for the Panthers as they'll finish out at home versus James Madison on Wednesday and Marshall on Friday. If they can't win out, it'll mean a second straight losing record for the regular season. And that task is daunting because James Madison's hardly lost a game all year. They're 26-3 and and still have the slimmest of chances of winning the regular season Sunbelt title, though it will require Appalachian State losing out this week. As for Marshall, they've had a late-season swoon. They'll head to Statesboro before taking on Georgia State in the finale, but entering this week, they've lost five straight and sit at 12-17 and overall, tied with Georgia State with a 7-9 and conference record. Gentlemen, thoughts on the final homestand of the regular season? Congrats. You lost to Texas State and next up is one of the better teams of the Sun Belt team that is still very much alive for, you know, 12 seed, whatever the NCAA tournament, if they win the Sun Belt tournament. Um, like I said about post game Texas State, Jonas was pretty mad. You know, I think that the, you would expect or you would hope for a response in this game. The problem is Georgia Southern just was up by 19 against James Madison on Saturday and JMU fought all the way back in that game. So it is possible they had their little late season wake up call and they're not going to be overlooking anyone heading into Atlanta on Wednesday. But the James Madison game, I think they can play them better than 20 like they did in Harrisonburg. They, you know, as we talked about on that pod, it was a three point differential in the final 35 minutes. They just spotted JMU at 17 point lead before that. Marshall is a game I, you look at as certainly a more winnable game. And I haven't run out all the permutations, but as long as they win that one, and they're finishing at 8 and 10 in Sunbelt play, they should be safe to be in the second round and avoid finishing 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th. You know, it's not a given that they can. Like, if they lose out, I don't think it's a given they will be in the bottom four. But getting that win and at least getting one and one this week takes them a lot of the way to finishing eight, nine, ten, somewhere in that ballpark. And if you're going to play James Madison or App State in the first round anyway, I don't know that your seeding really matters all that much. And I think they've played themselves out of being the sixth seed, which would have gotten them out of that quadrant. But that's what happened. You know, that is, at this point, it is what it is. But Got a chance on senior day against Marshall. It's a winnable game, a team semi in free fall. You really, really 
got to have that one. But at the same time, I think Marshall is a better team than Coastal and Texas State, and they both played you really tough. So I'm not saying it's a given. I'm just saying it's a gotta. <laughs> right. It's more of a, hey, you have to have it than, you know, this is the given. This is the situation, you know. I mean, look, this, the James Madison thing is the same thing that we said a few weeks ago. The only difference is, all right, now they have to travel and Georgia State's at home. You know, don't start with a 17-0 deficit at the beginning of the game and maybe you won't lose by 20, right? Um, I, you got to keep, you got to find a way to keep it competitive. At the end of the day, like that's that's really all it is, because we've seen regardless of who Georgia State plays, we've seen them go on those runs. We've seen them, you know, hang around and then, all right, the other team has stopped making shots and Georgia State is just bullying their way at the rim. You know, that's that's all you need for them to just have a chance, just have one single chance, you know, and, and Marshall is the same way. Like, you're right. Marshall might be better than Texas State and Coastal. And, you know, I, I don't think that we can specifically say that Georgia State plays to their competition because that's not fair because they've been playing both to and to not their competition. Um, but at the same time, though, you know, you've got to just find a way to get these two, um, you know, be annoying and upset James Madison, be annoying and, you know, thwart Marshall's plans for their seed line. Um, if they're, if it's even possible for them to change, but you just, you have to find a way to win. Yeah. And another, we talked to like pretty at length last time about Julian Mackey he had a great road trip and everything. And this past week kind of went back to not being much of a factor. It was a disappointment because it felt like he had kind of taken a real step and was going to be, impacting both sides of the ball defensively offensively so chance for him maybe to get it back thought ed you know in our, in defense of our takes from last pod i thought ed had another solid week where you saw the strides he's taken and another part of what they've been able to find with their sophomore big is they really needed to know like what kind of player he was going to be so you got that but it kind of like i said with the offensive stuff uh this past week you just gotta not fall into these lulls where you're you hit a couple of threes and so it means you start seeking out those threes even though the reason you started making them in the first place is you were running out of a good offense and you got some good open looks where you're setting your feet and i think the one trap this team falls into more than most offensively is they see a couple go in and then they start getting into heat check territory and it wasn't the you know the strategy to beat a Texas State team that wants to grind you out and is perfectly comfortable with you forcing up early shots in the shot clock, and it's not going to be the formula against Marshall or James Madison again. And I guess it the weird like it's hard to take all of the Texas State stuff as like literal like this is how this team is because we haven't seen them be just that bad taking care of the ball like that. It was the season high in turnovers and they had been top ten in the country in turnover percentages and offense before, and so. You almost want to write it off, but then James Madison comes in with a very good turnover rate themselves defensively. When they came to Atlanta last year, they kind of took over that game because they were forcing a ton of turnovers. And so you can't take for granted it's going to be better. I just think you got to have that focus for a minute. And that's not what they had when they played JMU, and that's why they got in the 17-0 hole first time they played. And it's generally, I think, what was problematic for them this past week is just not being fully locked in like they needed to do in a mean. James Madison needs to win out and have App State lose out to win the regular season. 
So it's not a high percentage, but it's still there to play for. And so they are certainly going to be motivated as they're closing out the season. That will still be a possibility as their ball is getting tipped in Atlanta on Wednesday. And so they're going to be giving it their all. And so you got to be up for that one. Again, like Marshall, you said, it's another winnable game at home and it's the last game. So chance to have a senior day win for the, for the seniors, the guys who are playing their last game. A chance to have the vibes be somewhat reset. You feel a little bit better as you go to Pensacola whenever your first game is going to be. And like I say, as long as you win one, I'd feel pretty confident saying they're going to be playing for the first time on that Thursday. Lose both, you're a little bit more up in the air and possibly you're falling the first round on, on, uh, on Tuesday, which you really can't spin that as anything but a total disappointment and almost the exact same thing as what you did last year. Like if you were still playing, on day one and you finish with seven and 11 conference record doesn't feel a whole lot different, even though you're not going to be last in the conference. And so really just very important for the vibes to get anything from this week and feel anything positivity going forward into the tournament from there kind of come what may we saw upsets in the last year's tournament. We see them every year. So as long as you get there, you got a shot. And I think, I don't know, we'll see. I'm running out of concrete yeah. on this team. A lot of no, no, I, I, I totally get it. That's how it was at the end of the football season, too. You know, you could just change this to the Copium podcast. Um, and as far as the tournament goes, have we had a normal tournament for the Sun well, in the last like six years at all? Like, there's nothing about this tournament is normal. So yeah, you know, there could be an upset or two, you know. I mean, like, not could be. We should be banking on the upset potential here. Yeah, I I believe Georgia State is a one seed and Little Rock when Kirst Beard was there, the one seeds that have won the tournament. And Georgia State lost as a one seed, you know, back in 2013-14. So it hasn't happened every time for the Panthers either, but just it has been the exception that the full-on favorite has won and cut down the nets in the conference tournament. And so I kind of feel like it's 1A and 1B, no matter who wins between JMU and App. Like, I think both of them are quality teams that would represent a conference well. You know, avert your ears, whoever ends up being the conference winner. It's better for the Sun Belt if the one seed does not win and if they have a team either in the NIT or and the NCAA or... They somehow find a way to have two teams that larges, but um, obviously whoever wins is head, enters the one seed is going to want to just win the tournament and go to the tournament. But if the Sunbelt can put two teams on the spotlight, I feel like those two good teams would be not not the worst thing in the world, but I, we definitely get a little ahead of ourselves. We'll definitely unpack everything we can with the conference tournament as we know the seed lines next week's pod, hopefully with a little more positive cheer about the Panthers. Even if it's another one in one week, there's a chance that they can play JMU better and Marshall better, and it feels a lot different than this past week. But this was a one in one week that you felt lucky. Um, you could play well and lose James Madison and feel a lot better than even how you won against Coastal Carolina last week. They better. I mean, <laughs> they better start playing better against James Madison. So it, it at least is, like I said, at least keep it competitive. That's really what you want to do. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to talk about women's basketball who had an 0-2 week at home at the worst possible time. The Panthers have lost three straight after falling 60-52 to Coastal Carolina on Thursday and 67-51 to Old Dominion on Saturday in the GSU Convocation Center. 
The losses take them all but out of consideration for a top four seed and a double bye. And now they're in a four-way tie at nine and seven in conference with ULM, Southern Miss, and Louisiana on the five to eight seed lines. This week, they'll hit the road and take on league leaders Marshall on Tuesday before finishing the season out at Coastal Carolina on Friday. Gentlemen, thoughts on the women's basketball team this week? The last few, like basically this whole conference season, when we got around to shooter hoops, it's been like a pretty meh men's basketball discussion. And then there's been a positive light at the end of it because we talk about the women's team. Everyone's in the meh this week because, I mean, the ODU loss, we talked about it last week, that if you had won that, it worked out a lot of good ways for your implications with tiebreakers. Kind of taking it as a given that you could beat a coastal team who had not been very good this year. Fortunately, you lose both games, and it's just a really, really poor timing, and it basically takes you out of the possibility of getting that double bye, and you're just going to drop for, you know, potentially drop further down the seed lines because you're, I mean, Marshall is going to be a tough road game. They can still outright clinch the Sun Belt title with a win against Georgia State, so again, they've got a lot to play for in that game. And as I talked about all the possible tiebreakers you have over likes of Troy, like of Old Dominion, likes of James Madison, if you got in those situations, it's the other way with ULM and Southern Miss, who beat Georgia State head-to-head. And so there's every chance they could go one and one this week and be as low as the eighth seed, depending on how the other teams perform and the tiebreakers go. And I still think they're a dangerous team with the guard play they've got, but it would certainly be disappointing and it would be a tough if you'd flip from suddenly having a chance to be the four seed or something like that to drawing Marshall if you win your first game in Pensacola. What the heck gives, man? We were talking about a, a women's team that had such good offense. And for some reason, they have just hit a really, really bad power outage um, from that perspective. And it's it's unusual and unfortunate because I think the offense really had been very good. And if it was what it was earlier in the season, they probably come away with a couple of wins this past weekend. I mean, the defense has still been fine, you know, holding Coastal to 60 points. That's good. ODU hit, got you know got up to 67, and it's not, like, terrible, but the offense has just really let them down. And I think, you know, to your point about the tournament, it's not going to really matter where they're playing and who their seed line is if they decide that they're just not going to be able to score. Yeah, that is also true. Maybe if it is just they've hit a wall, maybe if you end up playing Marshall in the first round, it wouldn't be that different than if you end up playing one of the, if you end up as a seven seed, play the two seed, you know, end up as the six seed, play the three, if you even get to that game, which obviously you can't take for granted because, you know, you flipped it this week and like I say, would take a lot to beat Marshall. And the reason we know this is only one team has beaten them in Sunbelt play so far. They're 15-1 and one in conference. They're 21-6 and six on the season. Very good team, and it's on the road. And you'd like to think they can go beat Coastal Carolina, but it's a team they lost to this week. So you can't fully say, yeah, that's a team, that's a game they're going to win. So it would be, I think they've got to at least grab that one. Stop the slide at four losses, even if you do lose in Huntington on Tuesday. And just a, grab some momentum back, beat a team on the road, get some revenge from a game you just lost. Like that's still the same where they're a four and twelve team, they're ten and nineteen on the season, is coastal. So it still feels like a very winnable game, but it was a winnable game you lost in friendly confines this past week. You gotta go on the road and do it this time. And 
everything else is out of your hands, kind of. Because if you end up in a tie with either or both of you alum Southern Miss, it's going to drop you down a couple of seed lines. You know, and at that point, it's kind of up, up to what other teams do for you. Whereas a couple short weeks ago, they were in a lot of control of their own destiny. And unfortunate to hit the top, you know, you want to be playing your best ball as you enter March and enter the tournament. And I think it's fair to say that even if they get back some of that this week, Georgia State's not going to be in that position. And it really felt like they had been trending to where that was going to be the case the last couple of times we talked about them on the podcast. All right. And last but certainly not least, let's talk about baseball. Uh, final results are pending as we record this at the same time Georgia State is due to play their Sunday series injured with Seton Hall. But there's no way to spin what's been a bad week for the Bustlet boys. After taking a 15-0 drubbing at the hands of UGA on Tuesday in their home opener, the Panthers dropped games 1 and 2 against Seton Hall to lose the series and fall to 1-5 and five to start out 2024. Friday was a blowout 14 to 5 loss while the bats were just not enough on Saturday as Georgia State lost 14 to 13 in 10 innings. After they finish out the Seton Hall series today, they'll head to Georgia Tech for a one-off on Tuesday at 4 p.m. before hitting the road for a four-game set with Western Carolina next weekend with a doubleheader planned on Saturday. Gentlemen, thoughts on the Buslot boys. Again, as we've gone through, I mean last year when the basketball team was struggling, went to baseball and it was like there's a glimmer of hope they're putting 31 season again for the second time in a row everyone's in the same it's so over vibes this week um just pitching has still been a mess like it did not get any better when they came back home georgia game i don't really care about because georgia's really good like they poured it on unc Asheville. uh they were pouring it on this weekend against their opponent Escapes me at the top of my head right now who they are playing, but like the uh, the Friday game, I remember seeing they were just again hitting double digits against him. It's like, all right, Georgia's really good. Charlie Condon, really good player, gonna be in the NBA, MLB draft at some point soon. They're an SEC team that's figuring it out. Uh, Seton Hall is also a good team, but you'd want to be giving up less than the factor of runs that you know they gave up. 14 in the first two games against Seton Hall after giving up 15 to Georgia. Just not giving yourself much of a chance. But on the flip side, until the Saturday game, you hadn't seen the offense do much of anything since the opener against New Orleans. And so even though they lost, I guess the one thing you're glad to see is that Saturday they did score 13 and really gave themselves a shot. But they got to figure out the pitching in a hurry because it didn't get friendly confines did not make it any better you know home routine didn't make it any better and my take doesn't really change all that much if they find a way to win the the capper of the series because i think you still lost the home series you're still really searching for those answers on the pitching staff uh, so we don't know the result yet as we're talking about it now but i don't know that it would change much for me because still series loss still in the wilderness, trying to find stuff out on the pitching side. College pitching is notoriously very tough. You know, you've talked about it a lot that, you know, you, an average staff is still probably looking at an ERA in the four or fives. Um, I would love it if we were talking about an average staff six right is, now. Five or six, not four or five. Four or fives is MLB staffs take those as a staff. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I just it is it is certainly not going well um, in terms of the ball throwers on this team. 
Um, and I think the unfortunate part is it's like all not going well, you know, not getting obviously not getting outs, but, you know, giving up a lot of walks, just guys getting on base, pitches being, you know, hammered. And it's it's really, really unfortunate because you 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 can see what the offense wants to do. You, you know, like you said, the offense went on a little bit of a dry spell, but we've seen that before with them, you know, and they still put up some good numbers by season's end. You know, you want to smooth out the consistency. So that's where, you know, kind of we have, you know, notated things, but the offense usually can be very, you know, big run numbers or nothing, honestly. But on the flip side, the pitching, even last year when it was bad, I don't know that it was quote unquote this bad. Um, and it, you know, it, it we're never talking about what six like games. This. Yeah, exactly. We are only talking about six games, um, and it, it, true, it never bottomed out. It's just it's something that needs to get fixed genuinely in a hurry. Yeah, some specifics on the numbers you were laying out there. So far this season, in fifty-three innings, as of through the Saturday game, fifty-one walks, thirteen hit by pitches. Contrasts that in opponents have only watched 25 Panthers and hit three. And there's been a lot of wild pitches as well. And you know, I was not on the ground in uh, the baseball complex for either of these games. Can't really tell the symptomatic if it's uh, they're overthrowing or if it's just they're in their head about it. But there's nothing more frustrating than watching baseball games where you're just not throwing strikes, not giving yourself a chance. And it's been kind of across the board. And I talked about this a little bit last time that Brady Jones, I think, has probably been your most consistent pitcher this year. He's been in kind of like a bridging the gap, long middle relief type role. And, you know, you're in the spot where I don't know that you can just say, okay, he's our Friday starter now because of how it works with stretching guys out. And it is useful to have that guy in the middle innings kind of get you through games. But, you know, he's sitting here, 284 ERA, and you know, Davis Chastain with a 193 ERA in four and two-thirds innings. Those are kind of your bright spots. And the guys you've been looking at as starters, it's been a struggle so far. And, you know, Ross Norman's a freshman, so you really want to give him a lot of runway to figure it out. And he struggled uh, on Saturday against Seton Hall after not getting a ton of length against New Orleans, but being somewhat effective in the time he was out there. And so... As we look forward, kind of like with the Georgia game on Tuesday, uh, Georgia Tech's undefeated right now. Georgia Tech's really good. Uh, so it's another midweek game where even though we were talking the preseason of like, all right, you got to rack up these games in the midweek. Feels like more of a task that you're going to need to do in the middle of the season now because feels like the wrong time to be playing this Georgia Tech team. As we talk right now, Western uh, Carolina is 3-3 three and three on the year. Uh, they're currently losing a series at Florida State, which good ACC program. It feels like the most winnable series they've played so far, so that certainly helps. Got four bites of the apple, so you're you know your pitching staff that's already not gone great is going to get really worked playing four games in three days this weekend. But really circling in on that weekend, I don't know if it's a series win. I don't know if it's just. Pitching performances that go better and give you a shot at games you still lose, something's got to give as far as seeing a turnaround because the season's still young, but there's basically nothing you can point to so far that you're really looking at as a positive. It's it's not been the season 
that Coach Stromdahl had been hoping for so far. It's early. You know, we, we could hopefully we are talking in at least a few weeks about the direction of it going and changing. Uh, but yeah, so far have not started things the way that we thought that things were going to start. And it's a arithmetic problem at the end of the day with baseball, where it's about the number of wins you rack up. And so if you're looking to fight your way to regional and some of these losses they're taking might affect their RPI and get them them there. But the other part of it is just number of wins you can get. And so if you're losing games on this end, it means down the, down the line, you're going to have to start maybe sweeping series where if you had won against New Orleans or you'd won against Seton Hall, two of three would have done. Or maybe it means, you know, you need that extra midweek game later just to get wins. But frankly, talking in those type of terms, given the way the season has started, it seems a little bit unrealistic. And really, it's about just playing better and maybe getting back to a spot where you can be gaming out the possibility of where you're going to finish in the Sun Belt and how many wins you're going to rack up. And like right now, it feels like getting back to 30 again would be a, a total monumental win. And that's a disappointment because this felt like it was going to be the year that maybe you'd be taking a step from what you had done the past two seasons. All right. So that is all the time we have for this week. But of course, before we get you out of here, let's take a look at the Georgia State Athletics calendar and run down everything the Panthers are getting up to this week, starting with Tuesday today as the release of part two of this week's podcast. Uh, baseball heading up to North Avenue to face Georgia Tech at 4 p.m. You can listen to that game on WGTJFM 97.5. And then at 6, women's basketball travels up to Huntington, West Virginia to face Marshall at 6 p.m. You can catch that game on ESPN+. Moving on to Wednesday, softball hosts Kennesaw State in the I-75 Challenge at 6 p.m. And at 7 p.m., men's basketball hosts James Madison in the Convocation Center. You can watch that game on ESPN+, or listen to Dave Cohen live on the call on WRSFM 88.5. Moving into March, Friday the 1st, big action down at the Bob Heck softball complex as softball hosts the Bob Heck Classic at GSU. Um, Harvard versus Winthrop at 10 a.m. And then the Panthers take the field versus Harvard at 12.30 and then versus Winthrop at 3. Baseball, meanwhile, will be in Western Carolina to face the Catamounts at 4 p.m. And at 5 p.m., women's basketball is in Conway, South Carolina to face Coastal Carolina. You can catch that game on ESPN+. And the men will then host Marshall in the Convocation Center at 7 p.m. And of course, you can watch that game on ESPN Plus or listen to Dave Cohen live on the call on WRSFM 88.5. Moving on to Saturday, it's a big day at the Bob Heck Softball Complex for everyone not named Georgia State as Tennessee Tech faces Harvard at 10 a.m., Tennessee Tech faces Winthrop at 12.30, and Harvard faces Winthrop at 3. No action for the Panthers on Saturday in that regard. But if you want to see some good softball, you can head on out to Panthersville and catch that. At noon, beach volleyball plays Stetson in the Seminole Beach Bash down in Tallahassee. At 1 p.m., baseball plays Western Carolina in the second game of that series in Cullowhee, North Carolina. At 2 p.m., women's tennis plays at UIC in Chicago. And at 2.30 p.m., beach volleyball faces Florida State in the Seminole Beach Bash, once again down in Tallahassee. And then at 4 p.m., baseball plays the second game of their doubleheader and the third game of the Western Carolina series, once again in Cullowhee, North Carolina. Moving on to Sunday the 3rd. Beach Volleyball faces ULM in the Seminole Beach Bash at 9 in the morning. Bob Heck Softball Classic continues. Harvard versus Tennessee Tech at 10 a.m. Women's Tennis plays at Chicago State at 11 a.m. And Softball takes the field once again versus Winthrop. 
in the Bob Heck Softball Classic at 12.30 p.m. Beach Volleyball faces Tampa in the Seminole Beach Bash at 12.45 p.m. Baseball concludes their series with Western Carolina at 1. And softball concludes the Bob Heck Classic playing Tennessee Tech at 3 p.m. None of these games are televised, so if you want to see them, you got to get out and support the Panthers. And finally, that is everything this week in a loaded Georgia State Athletics schedule. So uh, get out there, support the Panthers, and we will catch you in the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. See ya.